I'll step on your toes tonight. You won't like me. I'll do it as nicely as I can to everyone. It doesn't have to be painful. It's just a reminder about what is the worst sin in some respects. And we want to avoid it. We want to learn how to hate it. Heavenly Father, you've heard the prayer that's already been offered tonight. Have mercy upon us and bless us to be humble before thy word and to receive it into our souls and to go from this place to keep it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The worst sin and learning to hate it. God has called us together tonight to learn his will for our lives. That's why we're here. On Sunday, we reviewed the importance of fruit and started with 18. For us to reach higher ground, we need fruit. But, but, there is a sin that is hard to detect and hard to fight that we must hate if we are to truly reach higher ground and to prosper in the sight of the Lord. What makes a sin worse than other sins? All sin is bad, evil, terrible, and worthy of hell, fire for eternity. But some sins are harder to detect and harder to identify. Some sins are harder to fight and to eliminate. Some sins do not involve people or things. So they're harder to recognize. And there's no one else that's going to help you recognize it unless they're very courageous. These sins, these sins that are harder, may take more effort in order to seek them and to destroy them in your life. Every sin displeases God and will ruin your life and hurt our church. But there is a worst. And we want to think about this one tonight for the few minutes that we have. This will not be all that long. I know I say that, but I want you to focus on the slides as they come up because it shouldn't be very long. Is murder the worst sin? No. It's obvious to everyone that you've killed someone. You end up in prison or whatever, and it's identified, and you can repent for it and be forgiven. And it's it's a very discreet sin. You've either committed murder or you haven't. How about sodomy? No. Heresy? No. Witchcraft? These are all sins, and they're terrible sins, and and all sin is truly terrible, but this is not the worst sin. Is it hatred, idolatry, drunkenness, blasphemy, drugs, rape, adultery, child sacrifice? No, no, and no. But there is a terrible sin, and those are not it. Preaching may increase this sin. It can get worse when you try to rebuke a person that has it. It gets defensive even with the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this sin? Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the sin. Self-righteousness. What does God call this sin in the Bible since He doesn't use the word self-righteousness? He calls it holier than thou. You might think those words were invented by someone, 
But those words are straight out of the Bible as I want to show you right now. Holier than thou. It is the tendency for us to think that we're holier than others. That we please God more than others. That we're more righteous than others. Self-righteous sinners say these words. Stand by thyself. Don't Come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. This is Isaiah 65.5. We're going to see the whole passage in a moment. Stand by thyself. Come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. We don't want any thought process like that in our minds. We are all a bunch of ugly sinners saved by grace. And if it wasn't for the grace of God dipping down into the dregs of human society, none of us would be saved. Stand by thyself. Come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. This is what the Lord calls it as he mocks the self-righteous in Israel. These people offend God, and we want to realize that self-righteousness truly offends God. These are God's words. This is scripture on these pages. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face. When we are self-righteous and think that we're something special and think that we have a real handle on pleasing God. They offend God. These words are wrapped around holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. We do not want this being said of us. So let's just flush all self-righteousness tonight. God has promised judgment. Behold, it is written before me. I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. You are going to be judged by God for self-righteousness, or I will be judged by God for self-righteousness. God compared them in this passage I'm about to show you to these other sins. They are like witches staying in cemeteries when you're self-righteous. When you're self-righteous, you're like necromancers. Necromania is communication with the dead, sleeping in tombs. They are like those eating unclean swine's flesh. And for a Jew, under the law and the book of Leviticus, it was a terrible thing to eat a pig. They are like those eating blood or snake soup. That's my embellishment of, as you'll see in a moment. God included self-righteousness with these sins. Notice what he compared them with. Witches, necromancers, eating pig's meat when it's against God's law, and eating abominable things in a soup. Isaiah 65, here we go with the Word of God. I have spread out my hands. This is God speaking. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good, after their own thoughts. When I say to you, stop thinking, start thinking, stop thinking, praise the Lord, stop thinking, trust Scripture to think for you, I mean it in this sense of the word, when our thoughts get us into trouble. A people, God has spread out His hands to a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face that sacrificeth in gardens instead of on altars, and that burn incense upon altars of brick, 
when God's altars were to be unhewn stones, which remain among the graves. These people go and hide out in cemeteries. They lodge in the monuments. They go and spend the night in a tomb, a sepulcher, which eats swine's flesh, and there's the soup, the broth of abominable things is in their vessels, which say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. Period. That's how the Lord wraps up these people and their abominable transgressions against his law and their self-righteousness. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. Isaiah 65, 2 through 6, holier than thou is God's descriptive, mocking description of these wicked men in Israel before God took them away. Who are these two men? Here's the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee boldly comes into the house of God, drops his coins, tells the Lord that he's thankful that he's not like other men because he's an exceptional man and he's especially not like the publican. The publican won't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but smites his breast and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus gave this in Luke chapter 18. There is the Pharisee again. Here is the publican. We want to be publicans in this church because that's all we are. When a man thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let's not deceive ourselves. Let's just cut to the chase. We're nothing. But the children of God by grace. Here again is the Pharisee and the publican. But God is having mercy upon the publican because Jesus said the publican went down to his house justified. Here again is the Pharisee and here's the publican who will not even lift up his eyes to heaven because he feels unworthy of the presence of God. And Jesus, and he spake this parable unto certain, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Lord, help us, and despised others. Let's not do it anymore. Let's end it from our hearts, from our minds, from our lips, at home, anywhere. Let's not trust in ourselves. Let's not think that we are righteous and let's not despise others. Jesus gave this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The four pictures I showed you were of these two men. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. It didn't go very far. He was praying with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. That's his pompous prayer. 
And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. That needs to be the cry of our hearts and of our minds, that we are sinners, and God have mercy, because on the basis of merit, we have no standing. It must be mercy and not merit. I tell you, Jesus said, as he summarizes, I tell you this man, that is the publican, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for every one that exalteth himself that thinks he's holier than others shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Amen. That's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you saying that I am guilty of the sin in these two passages of Scripture? Yes, for sure. We all are. We all tend toward self-righteousness. Your question proves it. Why would you ask? Holding out for hope that you weren't guilty? That you've never despised anyone else? That you've never thought yourself better than someone else? Here's how it works. You pick sins that others sin, and those sins are bad. You pick sins that tempt you, and you allow them. Because you've taken the whole list of sins from the Bible and categorized it by the ones that don't tempt you as much, but you see other people failing in, and so they're bad. You know, the ones that you're guilty of, they're not nearly so bad. Of course, the main sin that we're talking about right now is the sin of self-righteousness of even making a determination like this. You make a difference in sins to justify yourself. Men have done it forever. The Pharisees were masters at it, so they thought. You flatter yourself that you are not like others. This is how it works. This is self-righteousness. This is how we do it. You justify yourself over others, even against preaching. He's not preaching to me. He's preaching to someone else. He's too extreme on that point because I'm pretty good in that matter. We want to humble ourselves and be naked, transparent, vulnerable, and ready for the Lord to assault us with His Word when we hear the Word of God preached. Here's how it works. You never miss church. So you despise vacationers. You never did drugs, so you despise those that did. You're not divorced, so you despise those that are. This is self-righteousness. I'm just going through some of the thought processes that tempt us, and we just want to flush them all. You leave services once, you despise two-timers that leave it twice. You pray in the back room, You despise those that don't pray. You limit definition of neighbor, like the lawyer did in Luke chapter 10, to his friends. We we will narrow down any commandment of Scripture until it's easy for us to keep it, and it matches with our own set of so-called ethics, like the lawyer did. Without charity, you judge others and put them in the worst light. We should look at each other and put each other's conduct 
in the best light. That's what charity does. It believes all things. It hopes all things. We are guilty of SR, selective righteousness. That is, only if you get to pick the standard of righteousness. That's how we operate. Selective righteousness. We pick the commandments that we want to specialize in. We pick the ones that we're going to allow and be merciful on ourselves. That is selective righteousness. You fail to hate bitterness. You fail to hate. There are some things that we need to hate. One of them is bitterness, grudges, hate. You fail to hate, hate. You fail to hate pride. This is self-righteousness. It's how it works. You value your strong points your strong points higher than God does. What a self-righteous person will do is will pick a short list of things that they think they're pretty good in, but almost all the time, that list of things are not found in the Bible. They're things God doesn't even care about. And yet, we get puffed up about things like that. You thrive... And it's terrible to even think about using this word this way, but you thrive on thinking others evil for their sins. It gives, it gives us pleasure to think evil of another person. This is self-righteousness of our depraved human nature. We want to hate it, root it out, and flush it by the grace of God. After you condemn others, you despise them. After you have figured out something by which you can measure another person, and find them coming up short, you then despise them. Like Luke 18 spoke of that Pharisee despising other men because he trusted in himself and his standard of righteousness. Once you pick your selective righteousness, then you can judge others that don't measure up to your selective standard of righteousness. You value neatness, income, child care over things like pride. Pride's the sin of the devil. Pride is terrible. Pride is hard to deal with. Pride is part of self-righteousness. You pile on. You pile on by pulling together the faults of others. You know, you, you remember this one of them. You remember another one that they did. You remember something from their past, and you, you pull it together, and you that's piling on. Because you should pull your own together and see what kind of a list you come up with. You flatter yourself for minor things that you do okay. No one does anything perfectly because we need God to sanctify and cleanse every single thing that we do. That's how it works. That's what self-righteousness is. That's how it wells up inside of us. That's how we think. That's how we condemn. That's how we despise others. Here's how the Pharisees did it. They ranked tithes of herbs over judgment, mercy, and faith. And there's a, there's a ser- there's two sermons on the website. One is entitled self-righteousness. The other is entitled forgotten sins. In both sermons, especially the one forgotten sins, there is an extensive description from the Bible of how men in the Bible did this and the ranking of sins and the ranking of virtue. The Pharisees were masters at paying tithes on their herb gardens. But Jesus said you overlook judgment, mercy, and faith. That's how they did it. We don't, that's selective righteousness. We don't want that. 
What's more important? Judgment, mercy, and faith are weightier matters of the law. That's what Matthew 23, 23 says about them. They ranked their faith promise offerings over parental honor. If they had committed their assets, their house, their furniture, or something to the temple, they would not honor their parents by supporting them in old age. It's Corbin. It's a gift. I've dedicated that to the temple someday. I'm not going to give it to my parents. Horrible. Jesus blasted that self-righteousness of theirs of altering God's law. You know, they allowed heart murder. That's when you get angry at someone without a cause or you rail on them without a cause because they hadn't committed the actual act of murder. But they allowed heart murder. They allowed heart adultery by fantasies and divorce. Jesus said, Whoso looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. And then he went on to say that by misusing the divorce laws, they could get rid of one wife and get another wife. And they would do that, though they had not technically committed adultery the way they defined it. This is self-righteousness. They ranked the Sabbath as more important than personal mercy. If someone needed to be healed and Jesus found them on the Sabbath day, they would tell them to wait till the next day because they didn't care about that person. But what's more important to the Lord? The Sabbath or mercy on a person that's been bound up for 18 years? Mercy. Mercy. So we want to rank things God's way. Mercy doesn't allow self-righteousness because mercy has mercy and shows benevolence and kindness and forgiveness and overlooking and meekness and gentleness toward others. That's how the Pharisees did it. Let God warn you some more. Let's look at some more verses about self-righteousness. Oh, seest thou... You're going to meet these people. We don't want to be one. Let's not have any more in our church after tonight. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? In his opinion, her opinion, there is more hope of a fool than of him. Now a fool in the book of Proverbs and a fool in the Bible is a pretty serious problem. But a person that thinks that they're righteous, thinks that they're wise, and is conceited in their opinions and judgments and decisions, there's more hope of a fool than of such a person because what will you do to help them? This is why self-righteousness is so dangerous. How can you help a person that is self-righteous? They don't need your help. They don't want your help. They're already approved by God, and they're already better than you. How can you help them? The sluggard. This is a, this is a stand-in for any sin. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. It doesn't matter how many reasons you put together, they've made up their own mind. That, that is terrible to have such conceit about your thought processes. God has mechanisms for us to check our thought processes to keep us wise, righteous, and in the truth. There is a generation, a kind of man, that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. We don't want to be like that. They think they're pure because they're only looking themselves 
with their selective righteousness, but they have not been washed from their filthiness. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. How can you check your spirit? By obeying the Word of God and forcing your spirit into submission to Scripture and what it says to do in the decision points of life. Most men, this is terrible, most men will proclaim every one his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. This tells us that the general rule is that men are self-righteous. The general rule is they want to tell you, and if they don't tell you, they're thinking it, that uh, they have their own goodness. But a faithful man, that is a truly good man, is hard to find. They're very rare. Let's be those rare men by not proclaiming our own goodness. Who can say, Solomon asked, who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? The answer, no one can. Is self-righteousness really that bad? I cannot reason with you when you are self-righteous. You cannot reason with me when I am self-righteous because we already know everything. It is terrible. It is the worst sin. How can you identify it? You know what a self-righteous person says when you tell them that they're self-righteous? I'm not self-righteous. Well, where does that leave you? You know, when he's got blood dripping from his hands and there's a knife on the ground and a person has their throat cut 10 feet away, you can say, you just committed murder. And they can't say, I didn't commit any murder. You know, you got a body and a weapon. You cannot see it in yourself. This is why self-righteousness is so bad. You cannot see it in yourself because you're too good to have something like that. How could you, a self-righteous person, be guilty of the worst sin? It believes you are good. Self-righteousness does. Believes you're good, intelligent, virtuous, and so forth. It's hard to admit you are wrong, foolish, and a rebel. Lord, save us. That we will just make ourselves vulnerable and transparent and humble ourselves before you and your word and know that we are nothing but sinful scum as Brother Zach prayed for us a few minutes ago. When you're self-righteous, you enjoy finding and discussing the faults of others. That's horrible. Unless there is a very profitable purpose for doing that. And that is seldom and rare. Is self-righteousness really that bad? You accuse others, though you have your own sins. You know the warnings about the beam and the moat. Why would you worry about a moat in someone's eye when you have a beam in your own? You have an opinion about others, but it's without the Bible. You just think lowly of them and you despise them like the Pharisee did the publican. You know, self-righteousness gets defensive, it gets testy, and it balks when it's corrected. These are things we want to change in our lives. It is easy to presume and judge against authority when you're self-righteous. You don't want to be told that you're wrong, even by someone in authority. Self-righteousness is the ease by which you can apply a sermon to someone else. 
Is self-righteousness that bad? It is the thought in a sermon, I don't need this. This is for someone else. It's you thinking that while a sermon's being preached. It is the response that you are comfortable with things the way they are right now. None of us should be comfortable with the things that they are right now. We should want to improve and reach higher ground. Self-righteousness gets defensive rather than thankful when they're corrected. Let's be thankful when someone tells us that we have done something wrong or could do something better. It is crying defensively when warned about sin. Some people resort to tears when they're corrected, but it is self-righteousness. They can't handle the correction. They should be thankful for it. Or they can scream, "Then, then all I am is a failure. I've heard that before. All I am is a failure. Why are you responding that way? You self-righteous Pharisee. No one said you're a total failure. We just said that you have a problem. Self-righteousness excuses your sins. This way. Well, you just don't understand me. Why don't I? We're all sinners in the same mess. It remembers sins of others when it is confronted. When you confront a self-righteous person, they'll throw up the sins of others. Instead of their own. The last place in the world they want to go is their own address. It fusses about who told you rather than to repent. It's so pleasant to tell somebody that they've done something wrong and you want to exhort them to get it right, to reprove them, and all they can say is, who told you? What does that have to do with anything? That is self-righteousness. Wanting to go find out who it was that told on them so they can go attack the person that told on them rather than attacking themselves for the sin that's just been pointed out. It scorns the one correcting by naming their sins. It minimizes repentance because it really wasn't that bad. Is self-righteousness really this bad? It will find fault with anything or anyone because it's hateful. Jesus will send these boasters to hell. Lord, Lord, did we not? Did we not? Did we not? Three times in Matthew 7.22. It throws itself, it throws its energies, and it embraces its own pet virtues, missing the real virtues of the Bible. Let's not, let, let's not measure our lives by anything that anyone else or, or we have come up with, but only by the Word of God. That's the measure of a successful life is doing it exactly the way the Bible says. And we all need each other to help each other remember that it's always the Bible way. That still allows some liberties. Self-righteousness pompously sits in judgment on anyone that's different. As if you wrote the book on wisdom. It creates artificial standards for itself and others. Do you hate this sin yet? Admit you are guilty. Lord, we are guilty. Help us. How can you stop it? No. Know this fact. Jesus hates Pharisees and loves sinners. That's the message of the New Testament. Self-righteousness ruins all your righteousness. What you're counting as righteousness... Self-righteousness wipes it all out. Just think about these things with me on how we can get rid of holier-than-thou, self-righteous 
trusting in ourselves that we're righteous and despising others. Use counselors instead of thinking you are wise. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. You don't have a right to make decisions by yourself unless they're little things like whether it's a Snickers bar or a Milky Way. Be the prodigal rather than his haughty brother. Remember that haughty brother wanted to say, Hey, Dad, I've been faithful every day of my life. You've never thrown a party for me. Self-righteous punk. You say, well, that sounds logical. He had served his father every day. Jesus used Luke 15 not to tell us about the prodigal son, but to tell us not to be like the older brother. That is wrong thinking. We want to get down and realize we've got so many sins, maybe in a different category, other than taking the inheritance and going and spending it with harlots. Every one of us is going to sin in a different way, but that doesn't mean you can identify someone else's sin and make yourself better. We're all in need of the Father's mercy. And you know, the Father responded and said, everything I have is yours. Honor those that you despise. These are little tips on how to get rid of self-righteousness. Whoever you despise in this church, show them some honor. Then do it again. How can you stop being self-righteous? Remember and know this fact. Jesus wants sinners, not the righteous. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. He didn't come for that Pharisee. He came for the publican. Becoming wise requires being a fool. Admit you're a fool. Tell the Lord that you're a fool. Humble yourself before Him, as 1 Corinthians 3 teaches us. Do you love correction? If not, why not? The only way we can ever be better is to be corrected. It is the only way it can ever happen. Because you're too smart? You're smarter than the rest of us? Do you love those who correct you? Why not? How you take criticism is a very significant trait taught in Proverbs and throughout the Bible, and it's the evidence of humility. And it's the evidence of not being self-righteous or trusting in yourself. Paul claimed that he was a chief of sinners and could hardly do right in Romans chapter 7 when he says the things that he would not, he ended up doing. We need to talk that way. But we need, we need to start thinking that way about ourselves. That we're the chief of sinners. Break your heart to contrition. These verses right there plainly state that God will not despise a broken and a contrite heart, and the man with a humble and poor spirit, he will receive him. Love mercy. How can you stop? This is what we're working on. How can you stop being self-righteous? Love mercy. Mercy is letting others go. Mercy is forbearing others, overlooking their faults, forgiving them, loving them in spite of it. Love mercy and show it to all others. God resists the proud. So get over yourself. Now. It's ridiculous. No one in here is anything. The best that you'll ever be is a sinner saved by the grace of God and adopted to be the Son of God. But that is by pure grace and mercy with no merit whatsoever. No merit. Only mercy is how we're saved. Be a giver. 
Be a giver to other people. A real servant. Don't hang to yourself. Be a slave to other people. Get down. This is how you get over self-righteousness. Get outside of yourself and go give yourself to other people. Paul claimed that he was less than the least of all saints. We should think that way. Love others. You know, I said be merciful to others. Love others. Want the best for them. Not the best for you. The best for them. That will help you get over self-righteousness. Pick the best in the church and look at them for your examples because that's what Philippians chapter 3 teaches to do and realize that you ain't it. Whatever you excel at, God does not care about it. Loathe yourself well below those around you so that we can get rid of any self-righteousness. Hate your sins more than anyone else's sins. Hate your own. Each one of us have our own sins. And we need to hate them more than anyone else's sins. Whenever someone else's sin pops up into your mind, think about one of your sins that you've confessed in the last 30 seconds so that you have something to deal with against yourself rather than just them. Let Scripture rank virtue on what is good and what is not good because it's love of other people. It's not a clean home. It's not a clean car. It's not a nice suit on Sundays. God doesn't care. What He cares about is love and humility and mercy in your dealings with everyone. Criticize criticism. These are tips to get rid of self-righteousness. Criticize criticism in yourself or in anyone near you. Stop it. Cut it off. Let's praise, commend, and give honor to others. Let the Bible rank sins. You know, in Romans chapter 1, we like to go there for sodomy, but it's got 20 other sins that, are of a, that, you know, that get a whole lot closer to home. And realize that in God's view, they're all on the same list. You know, the heart and envy and disobedience to parents and boasters and so forth are put in a list of things that are not convenient right along with sodomy. Reject all artificial or emotional ranking of sins. Go by the Word of God. Think about the self-righteous being in the hottest part of hell because of God's hatred of them, Old Testament, New Testament, His hatred of the Pharisees, His constant warning of their hypocrisy and their religious arrogance and pride. Denigrate yourself sincerely in heart and then verbally. Hate sins of omission as much as sins of commission. You know, you can look at somebody and say, look what they just did. That's unbelievable. But instead, look at yourself and list what you didn't do that you should have done. That's a sin of omission. You omitted to do something that you should have done. A sin of commission is committing something that you shouldn't have done. So instead of just focusing on their commission, look at your omissions. These are tips. Be a servant of men, helping them with their faults. Remember Galatians chapter 6? When you see a brother overtaken in a fault, restore them. Don't despise them. Restore them. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What if this whole church enthusiastically and zealously 
kept Galatians 6, 1 through 5 toward each other. What a church it could be. Pray for those that you despise for not measuring up to your standards. Pray for them. If you've got such a good standard, then get down and pray for them. That will help take away your despising of them. Adam's sin damned humanity, and you are far worse than Adam. Because he only sinned once, and you sin numerous times a day. Jesus befriended sinners far under him. Can you? Do you know what Jesus had to go through every time he spent a minute with anyone on earth? How far he had to stoop down? So the Bible tells us to condescend to men of low estate. Be not high-minded. Your self-righteousness makes you worst of all when you're comparing yourself to others. And to think about that says, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to deal with my own sins and I'm going to help everyone else with theirs. And may the Lord help the whole church. The Bible says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That arrogant spirit of self-righteousness is headed for disaster. Let nothing, nothing be done through strife or vainglory, thinking you're special, but in lowliness of mind. Let's get low minds about each other and about ourselves, about ourselves in particular, to get down to others. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Let's get down with a low mindset and a, an a improved attitude toward others and esteem them better than ourselves. With all lowliness. These are Bible verses of the New Testament. All lowliness and meekness. Never wanting to be special or have attention shown toward us. With long suffering, putting up with others, forbearing one another in love. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hate self-righteousness. Be a servant of sinners. You can do it and you can do it well. And we can do it together as a church. If you're convicted, the first two links in my for further study that's at the end of everything I ever do will provide a whole lot more. We can do this. The natural propensity of man is an arrogance and pride to figure out a measuring standard that makes him look the best and others the worst, to justify himself and despise others. Let's get rid of all of that, and let's get down and love each other in lowly minds, wanting to serve and help each other. This is important for this church to rise and be the best that it possibly can be, is to get rid of self-righteousness. I'm not saying that this church has a huge problem with it. I'm saying it's one of the sins that easily beset us, and that is ordinary. And we want to hate it and despise it, and make sure that it doesn't rear its ugly head, because it's there, resting in the breast of every one of us. Please stand with me. Heavenly Father, there is only one man that is holy, righteous, pure, virtuous, honest, and all other scriptural attributes. He loved righteousness and hated iniquity, and therefore you blessed His reign with a scepter of righteousness. We thank Thee for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and he alone is spotless and without sin and separate from sinners and holy and harmless. Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us and forgive each one of us right now from any haughtiness, any conceit, arrogance, self-righteousness, trusting in ourselves that we're righteous or despising others. Let us all strip such airs, such sinful condescension away from our lives to love one another and embrace each other as sinners. Sinners! No better than sinners saved by the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, make this church, this body of the Lord Jesus, all that it should be by polishing correcting, convicting, chastening, and changing every stone that makes up this living temple. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for His ultimate honor and glory forever. Go with us this night. Cause us to remember these things and to do them. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.